In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Well, today we want to pray about the Feast of St. Teresa of Avila, which is October 15th. She is an extraordinary saint that has been given to the Church, a woman of great humanity, of great personality, of impeccable character. We could say that she was a woman of big desires, with a big heart and she really has helped a lot of people in the church to learn how to pray. She ultimately became a doctor of the church. She was named doctor of the church by Paul VI in 1970. But all her human qualities, her personality, her character, her desires, everything, What did she do with all that? She put it at the service of God to help the church at a time when it needed reform and a new beginning. She was born in 1515 in Avila, Spain, which is outside of Madrid to the north, north northwest. And she she was born into a Christian family And eventually she joined the Carmelites in the convent of the Incarnation, right outside the walls of Avila, Spain. And that convent at that time was in in need of reform. And eventually she carried out that reform along with St. John of the Cross, whom she later met and worked with, to begin the Discalced Carmelites. I suppose the branch of the order that wears no shoes and goes barefoot. And St. Teresa and St. John of the Cross were instrumental in also giving, I would say Spain, but the whole world as well, the whole church, a true spirituality of mysticism and prayer. And we could say that so many people have been taught by her. A big part of the world has been affected by her so that they too, we too, can become contemplative souls. She died at the age of 67, ready to unite herself with the love of her loves, Jesus Christ. As she was traveling in Burgos and she was truly ready for meeting our Lord and seeing him because she had really fostered this desire throughout her life and throughout her prayer. She wrote many works, and her works are all based somehow in her experience, her experience of, of prayer. And as we were meditating on the last few weeks when we were meditating on the way and how St. Jose Maria wrote the way based on his prayer, St. Uh, Saint Teresa 
really had all her writings based on true experience of of her encounter with Christ in her own soul. And notably, we have her autobiography, which is The Book of Life. That's what it's called. And also another book, which is kind of like notes of experience for a monastery that that she was helping to found, and it's called The Way of Perfection, and it's basically a collection of experiences for these uh, Carmelites that were beginning, and she was just sharing what she herself lived. Then we have another book, uh, really probably the most famous, next to her autobiography, which is called Interior Castle, where she describes the the seven stages of prayer as as if they were rooms in a castle you know and um and and the farther you go into prayer the the deeper you go into into this castle you know and at first you're kind of in the courtyard and and you're still not in the castle because you're you're distracted you know you're you're, there's all sorts of little insects and creatures that, that are still there, you know, but as you go into the castle, then those things are purified, and, and those things represent, you know, our, our, our desires, our, our vanity, our concern for the world, and all this stuff that slowly gets purified the more we pray. Well, then we have other works, probably her letters, her maxims, and even her poetry. She was a mystic, and therefore poetry was very important for her because she had to express what really cannot be expressed in words, in literal terms. And and so she took recourse to, to poetry, really beautiful poetry that, that stands on its own two feet, we could say, in the history of poetry, not just because... Uh, she was a saint, but also because she was a good writer. After the Protestant Reformation, or during the Protestant Reformation, St. Teresa was a gift to the Church to enact what we could say part of the, the Holy Spirit's plan to reform the Church, the Counter-Reformation, as it's called. And it's not something that was organized top-down. It, it was really the Holy Spirit that inspired all these saints after the Reformation to, or during the Reformation, to actually purify the church on all the problems that they had back then in the middle of the 16th century. And notably among those saints, we have obviously Pius V, who was the Pope after Trent and gave us a beautiful catechism, the Catechism of Pius V. He reformed so many things in the church. Uh, he started seminaries, you know, got got a got control of the clergy so that they wouldn't be uh, disincarnated. You know, from a bishop, and he put a lot of he put a lot of order into the church. But also, you know, Saint Ignatius of Loyola with the with the order of the Jesuits that he founded. Um, you also have Saint Charles Borromeo, and and also Saint Teresa of Avila in Spain. You know, there there were many. It was, it was an orchestra that was led by the Holy Spirit to clean up the church and get her back on track. And I think right now, today, we can actually turn to her and ask her to 
help in this church of ours that we are living in now, the church of Christ that is called to be pure and holy, but we see so many times the the wounds of of the church because of the the people, the members of the church that are certainly we are all certainly sinful, and we need a deep conversion. And I think today, Saint Teresa could help us with this intention, so that we too can be part of that reform that needs to be enacted by the Holy Spirit. We could be instruments, like she was, very docile to the Holy Spirit. So, what can we learn from St. Teresa of Avila as far as we, 21st century members of the body of Christ here present, can, can actually put into practice from her life? Is her life so out of touch from ours? Is she totally foreign to us because she lived in totally different circumstances than we do? Or can we learn something? Or is is it really, on the flip side, is she really very similar to our age? Or is she going through issues that we too are going through on the inside, you know, in our interior life? Well, Fundamentally, I think what we can learn from her is how to pray. Prayer for her was the central, most important way to becoming identified and united with Christ. That was, that was her goal, you know, to be identified with Christ. And how does she do that? Through prayer. Prayer for her was was a great discovery. And actually, in the end, having God, possessing God, or being possessed by God, really, or having prayer, being in prayer, being in relation to God, is the only thing that matters in the end. You know, the world is of very little importance has very little value very relative value and god is everything and when we have god we have everything you know we can recall those words of saint paul if god is with us who can be against us if we have god we have everything because he's our father you know remember her poem her famous poem probably her most famous poem it's a very short poem but it's it's so consoling and so beautiful I think really can help us and it really picks up these two ideas that the world is is of such relative value for us and that God is everything else and, the, and everything, period. And the only thing that we need is to trust in him and abandon ourselves in him. And her poem is a translation, of course, but it goes like this. Let nothing disturb you. Let nothing make you afraid. All things are passing. God alone never changes. Patience gains all things. If you have God, you will want for nothing. God alone suffices. Really extraordinary, extraordinary truths that are not so easy to learn this day and age, I think, especially now because we have so much technology, so much power, so much 
so many means at our disposal that actually solve problems that maybe in St. Teresa's day were only solved by prayer, you know. Uh, but now we can take recourse to technology in order to solve those problems. I don't know, whatever they are. But, you know, and back then people just prayed because they, 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 they couldn't, you know, do all those things. But is technology really saving us, you know, ultimately? Even if it, yes, it has made life a little easier and a little more comfortable and all that, but has it perhaps taken the place of God to the point that we end up considering prayer a waste of time? You know, think about that. Do we consider prayer a waste of time? Do we need a savior at all? I think we need to go back and 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 think about what it really means to be saved. And think about my life today and say, you know, do I, do I rely on God or am I relying really on more on my intellect, more on my technology, more on my money, more on my insurance policy? Is that what gives me hope? Because ultimately, those things, those material things will actually go away. They will reach their, their, their limit. And then what? And then we, we will despair, you know, in a very deep way, in a very dark way, because we will have been totally defrauded. And where do we turn to at that point? Well, let's anticipate that moment, or let's avoid that moment, actually, and turn to God right now, today. Because ultimately, He is the only thing that matters, possessing Him. If you have God, you will want for nothing. You will lack nothing. God alone suffices. Now, St. Teresa had this desire since she was little. And she was so enthralled by the lives of the saints. She really was devoted to the saints. And she read the stories, especially the martyrs. You know, the martyrs are so important, especially, I would say, uh, for children. You know, I was once preaching to children about a martyr, and I was uh, I was corrected by one of the parents there, because um, well they said that that it was too too much for a twelve year old to learn about Saint Agnes, you know, who was who was killed for her faith in Rome, and well I profoundly disagreed with that uh, with that comment from that parent because. St. Agnes herself was that age, or around that age, when she gave up her life. Our children are capable of great faith and of great ideals if we give it to them, if, you know, if we give them ideals. But we have, to, we have to give them ideals that are worth dying for, and therefore worth living for. You know. So when St. Teresa was young, even younger than 12, I, I don't know if she must have been eight, nine, or something like that. Um, she loved to hear the stories about the martyrs that were dying at uh, when they were confronted in battle with the Moors in Spain, and they were dying for their faith. And she says, I want to do that. And so she escaped with her brother, Rodrigo, outside of the city walls, and she ran. She was running to the front line kind of thing. Of course, they were spotted by their uncle, and then they were brought back home. But 
the reasons that St. Teresa gave her brother as to why they should escape, you know, and run to the front lines of the battles was because God is forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Whereas martyrdom is only, you know, a, just a little bit of time. Yes, we suffer some, but you know what? It's worth it. The forever is worth it, you know, is worth the suffering. And she was so zealous and so fervent in this conviction that that's what drove her to want to die a martyr. Well, of course, that didn't come true. But still, it was so helpful for a young girl like that to have those desires even at her young age. Because that meant that she really knew where her priorities were. And I think that's something that St. Teresa always had very clear. What is my priority? And everything else has to fall in place with respect to that. Not the other way around. Not the other way around. You know. Now, of course, knowing this is not enough. Knowing that God is forever and ever and having these great desires is not enough. She herself had to grow in these desires and to purify those desires. You know, And she did that through her prayer. Through her prayer. You know, we all know that saints are not born, you know, they're not born saints. We're not born saints. We we don't inherit sanctity through our DNA or something, you know. It's not a gene, it's not something like that. And and how, do, how are saints made? Well, saints are made by God. Although they're made by God with our cooperation. Most of the time, of course, they're we can't cooperate with God in, in uh, being a saint when we die as as a little child that is just baptized, of course, they they somehow are are not asked to to exercise their freedom because they die before the age of reason. But after the age of reason, God wants us to cooperate in our sanctification. And that's something that we do by entering into prayer with him. Now, if you go to Rome, you could see in Our Lady of Victory, the Church of Our Lady of Victory, the statue made by Bernini, extraordinary statue made by Bernini of St. Teresa in ecstasy, where you have the episode in her life where she, she was wrapped up in prayer to the point that she saw an angel with a fiery arrow uh, piercing her heart. And in this kind of rapture or ecstasy, you know, she she said it was so painful and at the same time so so beautiful because she was left in her soul with great love of God afterwards. You know, well, you might say, well, I'm not there yet. I mean, if that's the kind of prayer she's talking about, I don't think I can do that. I mean, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that what that means. I don't know how. You know, what do I do? You know, no, it's not about levitation. It's not about ecstasy. It's not about kind of mystical experiences like that, although if they happen, well, that's the Holy Spirit. That's really not our department, that's the Holy Spirit's department. And St. Teresa got a lot of those visions and locutions and, and ecstasies, but but chances are, you know, the ordinary way is is really something different. The ordinary way is that, well, path, as St. Teresa began. She began for actually 20 years. She tried to pray. She couldn't pray. 
And only until she was about 40, maybe a little younger than that, she did she really begin to, to actually uh, stop thinking that prayer was laborsome, you know? Now, prayer is, is the path to God, but it's a very tricky path because it's full of trials. It's full of labors, as she called them. It's full of temptations because the devil doesn't want us to pray. The one thing that the devil knows is that if we pray, we won't pay attention to him. We won't fall. In fact, St. Teresa herself said, if you don't pray for a quarter of an hour a day at least, he said, she said, you don't need the devil to tempt you. I mean, you'll tempt yourself. You don't need, you don't need Satan to actually put any, allocate any resources to you, you know, to tempt you. Uh, and therefore, the path of prayer is so important to fend off sin, and especially mortal sin. But we need to persevere in it because there's many, many pitfalls in, in, in that path of prayer. And that's why we need, well, we need fortitude, we need perseverance. But most importantly, St. Teresa discovered we need humility. We need humility to know that we cannot do it alone. In fact, that's what drove her to actually recommend so many times to get a spiritual director. She she needed a spiritual director and she she was so fond of her spiritual directors. But she said not every spiritual director was good because not every spiritual director was learned. You know, she said she recommended if you're gonna get a spiritual director, get one who, yes, is holy, who's trying to live the, the you know what what he says himself but especially that he be a man or woman of letters of letters which means a learned person a person who studies because there only an experienced person can actually avoid or help someone avoid the pitfalls that one can find along the path of prayer i mean it's like going to mount everest you need you need help you need you know these uh, Sherpas, you know, you need you need a whole team to help you. Well, same thing in the spiritual life. We need a spiritual director. It's very hard to do it alone. And of course, maybe some saints have done it alone because they didn't have anybody else and so on. But but just look in the history of the church. There has always been kind of saints come in pairs. You know, look look at Saint Ambrose and Saint Augustine. You know, uh, Saint Ambrose was a kind of spiritual director of Saint Augustine. Um, look at look at um, Albert the Great and Saint Thomas Aquinas. Look at John of Avila and Saint Teresa of Avila. Look at um, Blessed Alvaro, who was the spiritual director of Saint Jose Maria, and so on and so forth. I mean, you know, you can you can go through history and and realize that when we have help in the interior life, we go forward very quickly but when we don't we may go astray and then we we don't know what to do well what saint Teresa also discovered is that you cannot give what you don't have and this is uh, where she actually discovered how to pray and that she actually needed to pray well because she had been praying you know she was a carmelite and she of course she was in the business of praying and all this stuff so all that was good but then she fell ill she fell into a coma for four days, and then she came back. She had very ill health throughout her life. But um, after that episode, she 
she actually um, stopped praying. And she stopped praying for a year. For a year. Because she said she was too ill. You know, she was just too weak. And she said, well, this is not for me, whatever. You know, she didn't put a lot of emphasis into prayer back then, you know. And, but in the meantime, she was teaching people how to pray. <laughs> she was teaching her own father how to pray. And in fact, that's when her, her father died. And her mother had died when she was 12. So um, that was very early on. And, but, you know, when her father died, her father really, you know, he, well, he learned to pray, pray f from her, but she felt like a hypocrite because after a year, she had to admit that she was not really praying and that she did not feel that it was fair or fit or possible to teach others how to pray if she did not do it herself. And then she examined her conscience and she realized that this whole business of, Ill, of the illness that she was undergoing was a bunch of baloney, you know, that it was not, it was nothing but an excuse to not pray, but that she could pray with even with her illness. That's something that we have to realize, that we can always pray. It doesn't matter where we are. It doesn't matter if we're in prison. It doesn't matter if we are ill in a hospital. It doesn't, doesn't matter. We can always pray. And maybe prayer takes different forms. Maybe if we're so ill, we, you know, our prayer is really just offering up our pain. And that's a prayer. But, you know, somehow we have to realize that God is always with us. God is always present. And that we can always relate to him, always relate to him. She said that had that hadn't she done examination of conscience, hadn't she examined her conscience, she would have fallen into ruin, the ruin of her soul, which is basically lukewarmness or tepidity and and sadness and kind of you know basically a kind of um uh sometimes called acedia you know where the soul is tepid or just basically neither hot nor cold we recall those words of the apocalypse you know i spew you out of my mouth because you were neither hot nor cold you know how i wish you were hot or cold but since you were you know neither i reject you you know and these um, these difficult moments of temptation, of lukewarmness, or whatever, when we when we encounter them in our in the inclined plane of prayer, are solved through sincerity in spiritual direction, humility, and examination. You know, and and that's what Saint Teresa herself discovered, and after that. She realized, we could say, the mercy of God to have forgiven her tremendously. And let me quote for you this passage where she saw herself as a, a, um, as a person who had, who had sinned, but at the same time received mercy. It is here, oh God, help me. If only I could describe the occasions of sin during these years from which God delivered me and tell how I plunged into them again and how he continually saved me from the danger of losing my entire reputation. 
I would show by my actions the kind of person I was, yet the Lord would hide the wrongs I did and reveal some small virtue, if I had any, and magnify it in the eyes of all, so that people invariably had a high opinion of me. For although my vanities were sometimes crystal clear, they would not believe them to be such when they observed other things in me which they considered good. So St. Teresa here, you know, when she was going through these periods of temptation, even of sin, that she would be so so amazed at God's mercy that she that he hid her sins from other people, from the sight of other people, and would actually, you know, um, make some virtue of hers come out, and 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 she would be praised for that. And she couldn't take it because she said, you know, Lord, I'd rather you punish me for 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 my sins, but you know, why do you punish me by forgiving me? Why do you punish me by 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 being so kind to me? You know, and she says, you did chastise my faults with great favors. You punished my great faults with great favors, with graces. And I do not believe I am speaking foolishly, though, well, might I become distraught when I recall to mind my ingratitude and wickedness. In the condition I was at that time, it was much more painful for me when I had fallen into grievous faults to be given favors than to be given punishments. <laughs> but God is so good that he, quote, punishes us by forgiving us, by giving us more graces. And that's what happened to her, you know. And then, of course, she discovered prayer. And and prayer for her is, is the way that she was able to actually make the choice between God or mammon. Because she says she was living a kind of double life. You know, on the one side, she was given into all these vanities, whatever they were. And on the other side, she wanted to pray, but it, it was a struggle. And we shouldn't be surprised if we struggle as well in our prayer. You know, At some point, she defines prayer, what prayer is. What, and she called it mental prayer. You know, oración mental in Spanish. And this, is, this has become a classic definition of prayer. Mental prayer, in my view, she says, is nothing but friendly intercourse and frequent solitary converse with him who we know loves us. If love is to be true and friendship lasting, certain conditions are necessary. On the Lord's side, we know these cannot fail. But our nature is vicious, sensual, and ungrateful. You cannot therefore succeed in loving him as much as he loves you, because it is not in your nature to do so. If then you do not yet love him, you will realize how much it means to you to have his friendship and how much he loves you. And you will gladly endure the troubles which arise from being so much with the one who is so different from you. Yeah. And of course, St. Teresa, in her prayer, well, she has, we could say, these exclamations. And if you just go, go through the book of her life, you'll see that many paragraphs begin with, Oh God, or Oh Lord, you know. For instance, this one, O oh, infinite goodness of my God, you know, it is thus that I seem to see both myself and thee. O oh, joy of the angels, how I long when I think of this to be wholly consumed in love for thee. How true it is that thou dost bear with me who cannot bear thee to be with them. 
Oh, how good a friend art thou, my Lord! How thou dost comfort us and suffer us and wait until our nature becomes more like thine and meanwhile dost bear with it as it is. Thou dost remember the times when we love thee, my Lord, and when for a moment we repent, thou dost forget how we have offended thee. You know, I mean, these exclamations that she has are really St. Teresa's capacity to be awed by God and to be surprised by God. Really beautiful ways that, that beautiful fruit of her prayer, you know, where she is allowed to be lifted up. It's like wind that comes from underneath, you know, her wings. And then she's lifted up by God in awe. And this kind of prayer leads to a, a greater kind of prayer, which she called prayer of quiet or prayer of union, you know, where she's simply without words, without being able to express the beauty and the experience of being with God, of, of being totally immersed in God. Well, what is her method of prayer? And that's what we can learn today. Her method, she says, was this. As I could not reason with my mind, I would try to make pictures of Christ inwardly. And I used to think I felt better when I dwelt on those parts of his life when he was most often alone, you know. So she meditated on Christ who suffered. Christ being scourged. Christ being crowned with thorns. Christ being crucified. Christ alone in the garden of Gethsemane. You know, that was her method. Get into the humanity of Christ. Get into the sacred humanity of Christ and accompany him. This is what made her the great saint that she was. This kind of prayer, which made her rely more on God, made her aware of her sinfulness, of her wretchedness, but at the same time with a lot of humility and a lot of, you know, kind of awareness, made her realize that she was a daughter of God and that she 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 was more willing to to embrace mortifications, to embrace self-denial, to curb her tongue with any complaint that may surge, you know, to to not exaggerate her mood swings, you know, she says at some point, you know, in her feelings, she says, I express my feelings, I, I want to express my feelings, you know, in moderation and not with exaggeration because, you know, ultimately I have to deny myself in in everything. Well, St. Teresa can teach us many things, but among those things is, I think, what stands out the most is her humility in order to be lifted up by God into prayer and ultimately uh, a complete reliance on God for everything that she did. I mean, she reformed many monasteries. She did a lot for the church. But how did she do all those things? Not with, you know, the activism of Martha, you know, when she was frustrated, you know, in serving Jesus at the table. No, it was with the con contemplation of Mary, the sister of Martha, who was there absorbing every word of Jesus, you know, at at his feet. And that's exactly what we are called to do as well. Well, let us turn to Mary, whom St. Teresa adopted as her spiritual mother when her mother died at age 12. And 
we can turn to her because she she's also a contemplative. Mary, obviously, she is the contemplative who kept all the words of Jesus, all the events of Jesus' life in her own heart. And because of that, she was able to persevere in the height of prayer at the foot of the cross and offer her life in union with her sons. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.